Good morning. Welcome. Hope you guys have had a great week, and now we're excited to be back together this morning to worship Jesus. My name's Justin Otto. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at Lakes Free. For those of you who do not know that, um, online, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, I'm going to go through the uh, worship guide here quickly and highlight a few things. For those of you online, I just want to remind you that you can look up these things at www.lakesfree.org. If you're new with us this morning, first off, do visit our Next Steps area out back. They would love to get some info in your hands to help you get uh, comfortable here at Lakes and make sure that you're prepared for whatever you need to know. Um, If you would join me, if you've got one of these, I've got a couple things I want to highlight. First off... Following this morning's service in room 222, we have our baptism info meeting. As uh, some of you are familiar with, on August 15th, we have our uh, baptism and picnic uh, out here in the back at 10.30, and part of that, we need people to be baptized, and so (laughs) we have this info meeting today so that you can find out more about baptism and have the opportunity to sign up to be baptized if that is how you're feeling God calling you uh, to go. If you are unable to attend at uh, 10.30 this morning, please contact the main office and they will get you next steps. In addition to that August 15th baptism and picnic service, uh, I just want to mention that they are looking for some people to serve that morning. We are looking for grill masters and grills. If you have a grill or you believe you're a grill master, (laughs) this is the opportunity for you. Uh, Jim Melko's number is in the worship guide. Uh, Please contact him as soon as possible so you can get that all ready to go so that we can have a great morning on the 15th. In addition to that, just want to make one last shout out here. The children's ministry and student ministry are in that process of gearing up for the fall. And part of that is finding people that love children and people that love teenagers. And most importantly, within those, both those realms, they love Jesus as well. So if you fit that category, and you're looking for an opportunity to serve, please contact myself or Kelly or Lisa for more information. With that, I wanna pray for our service and then we will come together for worship. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. Father, we're all coming in here from different places, different experiences this week. Father, you are not surprised by any of it. You were a part of it. And Father, you've brought us here together to worship you, and you are worthy of our praise no matter the circumstances. So God, as we worship this morning, let us worship in spirit and truth. May we worship you with our hearts and with our words as we come together as a congregation. Thanks so much for the worship team this morning. Would you bless them and provide what they need to lead us today? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you would join us uh, by standing and and joining the worship team for worship.
may be seated. morning. Uh, as you saw in that video, J316 uh, soccer camp was a little over a week ago, and it was such an awesome opportunity for this community and for the uh, kids here at Lakes Free. And uh, the leaders of that, Butch and Luke, do such a great job of putting that together. And their desire is that they not only serve uh, the community by sharing some soccer skills, but also sharing Jesus. And so as we uh, remember from last week, there was a bouquet of flowers up here for those who had given their life to Christ through that ministry. And so we praise God for that this morning. Let me pray for us as we uh, gear up for our message this morning. Heavenly Father, we just give you praise and glory for the time of worship that we've had with our voices and with our hearts as we meditated on the promises that you have given us and the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you so much for our worship team and thank you so much for such a great job that they do in leading us to you. And Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that even in the storms of this past week, this past year, you are present with us and you calm them. And Father, uh, we thank you that even in the joys of this past week, that you are right there with us and help us to give you praise. And Father, we thank you for J316. And we thank you for that ministry and the overflow that had into the lives of the students and our community. And Father, we ask that you would bless that ministry. We ask that you would bless the fruit that it bore and that, Father, you would use it for your glory into the future. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together this morning as believers united in Christ and have the opportunity to worship you. 
Thank you for your word and the hope that it brings us. Thank you for your word and the truth that it tells. And thank you as we gear into uh, what we call the passion of the Christ. Thank you that your son laid down his life for each one of us. And we give you praise for your intentional plan for our salvation. That you saw us as valuable. God, we give you praise for that. A bunch of sinful men and women you laid down your life for and you call friends. God, be with us during this time. Would you help me as I speak? Would you use me as you desire during this time? Would you be glorified through this time? And would you speak to each one of our hearts the message that we need to hear today? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're digging into the Passion Week. As I just said, Pastor Rick did such a great job last week of digging into that final prayer that Jesus gave at that final discourse with his disciples. And, it, and that prayer included the unity of believers, uh, you and I. And what does it look like really for us to come together and truly love each other and be united as a, a body during times in our, uh, in our world where everything is divided? And so I was, strong, I was very encouraged uh, by that message last week as well as challenged by it because I know that as a believer, I still can be part of the disunity within the body. And so I was very challenged by that and encouraged at the same time. And may God bear fruit through that message as we gear into this one here. If you would like today, would you turn to uh, John 18? And uh, we'll get ready to read that. But before we do that, I just want to kind of give a little intro uh, regarding where we've been beyond the unity piece and get us started um, with this Passion Week. Today, John is moving us from that intimate time with his disciples. Chapters 13 through 17 in John have this farewell discourse that was put together where Jesus is pouring into his disciples. He's pouring into them so that they know what it looks like to have a right relationship with him, and they're pre he's preparing for it what will come following his death and resurrection, what they should expect. But as we look as, at Scripture, the promises that were even shared at that final farewell discourse with his disciples at that meal, it goes way back to a message that Jesus gave us way back 1,500 years prior to the writing of John. In today's passage, we're going back to Genesis 3.15 where God curses the serpent with these words. I put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He shall crush your head, and you shall strike his heel. What is God saying here? He's saying that someone is going to come from Eve's family who will deal a death blow to Satan. And while Satan will make him suffer, there will be fulfillment of this prophecy in Genesis 3.15. And we are there. We are at the Passion Week, and now we are digging into the fulfillment of that prophecy in Genesis 3.15. As I studied this passage, I really struggled with where to go. I really wanted to highlight what Peter was struggling with the whole time. And I, wanted, I had this big plan of how I'm going to walk people how to get connected with other people, get accountability, find tools to get through their sin 
so that they're not in those places where they fall so easily like Peter. But the more and more I read, I kept coming back to the suffering of our Christ, the suffering of Jesus, and how he did it so well, how he did it so well. So today as we dig in, I want us to see how did Jesus, how did Jesus suffer, how did he respond to that suffering, and how does he help us as we go through our sufferings. So that's my challenge for us as we read through this passage today. As I studied this passage, I really was challenged by my response to the various circumstances in my life over the past couple years. I had to ask myself the questions, how have I responded to my suffering and my circumstances? What I found was that often my response was self-focused and not God-focused. As we go through this passage, I am challenged by that personally, and I desire that for you as well. Where is your focus when you go through tough circumstances? Let's start by reading our passage today. We're going to dig into this a little different. I'm breaking it into three chunks and, and going to pull it apart that way and challenge us through that. So we're going to start with verses 1 through 11, chapter 18 of John. Follow along as I read. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the book, brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that was spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? The suffering begins, and Jesus' response is just as quick. When Jesus had finished praying, they left the upper room and they went to the garden. How did Jesus prepare for what was about to happen? He spent time with those who were chosen to be his witnesses, and he prayed. He prepared through prayer. We see this throughout the Gospels, and we see it again, that Jesus prepared through prayer. It is important for us to make note that at this point, between verse 1 and 2 of this chapter, 
there is more going on. His prayer in the upper room was followed by more prayer in the garden. Mark, a close friend of the apostle Peter, gives his account in Mark 14, starting at verse 32. You can turn there if you'd like, but I'll read it for you here. And they went to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now that passage is a whole other sermon in itself, but just if I could highlight a couple things there. What is Jesus doing? He's praying. What's the disciples doing? Sleeping. All four Gospels made it clear that in preparation for what Jesus knew was ahead of him, he spent his focused time with the Father, casting his cares on him, sharing what really was going on in his heart, what he was wrestling with, but understanding that he desired to fulfill what God had for him. The Father was there to strengthen him and encourage him and give him what he needs to press on. Jesus asked his disciples to pray with him, and just like he asked them, he's asking us to do the same and follow that example as we go through suffering. 1 Peter 5, 7 declares, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares about you. God wants to hear everything that you're wrestling with, the good, the bad. He wants you to cast it on him. And Jesus gave us a great example of that in that Mark passage. I recall about five years ago when my brother Jonathan called me up and said that doctors were fearing the worst case for his muscle deterioration. I remember him asking me to pray, and I remember him asking me specifically to pray that he had MS or Parkinson's. That's how bad this situation was. He was hoping for those things. The alternative was ALS. I remember asking uh, God that he would do, that he would answer those prayers, but that his will would be done. But I remember also not really grasping the situation. I remember laying those requests at God's feet, but I also remember um, kind of thinking, well, they'll figure this out. There'll be some kind of med or there'll be something going on there. And I didn't necessarily take it as serious as I should. I remember a short time after being invited over uh, to my brother's house as he shared the official diagnosis that he had ALS and him sharing that Jesus was his only hope. 
I remember him laying across the living room floor as we prayed over him, that God would heal him, but that God's will would be done. My brother wasn't perfect in any way, but he knew perfectly how to prepare. He needed to spend time with Jesus. And I watched as his heart shifted to, it's out of my control, to now it's all in God's, all in God's hands. And that's where he turned his attention. How is our prayer life as we suffer? Are we taking the time to be connected to Jesus and are we allowing him to strengthen us? The passage goes on to describe the events of the arrest. Jesus had prepared and now he watched all the pieces come together for his crucifixion. Throughout the Gospel of John, we are shown the glory of Christ and again in verse four, it shares that Jesus knew all that would happen to him. Our Savior is sovereign. He knows all and was in complete control. John 1.1 declares, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was God, and he was in control. He was allowing for his arrest. As I read the Gospels, sometimes I, I look at it and I feel like he, you know, we, that lamb going to the slaughter, that idea that Jesus was going, going to go through this hard thing. But what I was reminded of through this passage was just how powerful Christ is and how in control the situation was and how willing he was to go to the cross for you and me. And that is, that's awesome. That's awesome. He was in control. He allowed the arrest. He could have avoided an arrest, as we saw in early testimonies, like at the Feast of Tabernacles where they wanted to kill him and he was able to get away. Uh, at the, when he had to escape after Lazarus was resurrected and they wanted to kill him, he was able to flee to an area for a little while. And as, as the passages say, it wasn't time. But now, on, now tonight, it is time. And he knows it. And he's bringing everything together for his arrest. He knew Judas would betray him. And he gave him permission to do so. He knew that Judas knew where to find him. And now Judas arrives with a band of at least 300 soldiers and officers from the Jewish leadership. Jesus knew what was going to happen and he orchestrated the pieces to make it happen. Then knowing all that would happen to him, Jesus takes the initiative to address them first. As you think about your suffering, how does knowing that Jesus knew the details of his arrest, even controlled the movements, encourage you as you go through your suffering? As I wrestle with that question, I think it can be, that can be very tough to understand. Because if he knows the events that will come our way, he has the ability to stop them or prevent them. But why doesn't he? We are given the answer in Romans 8.28. It states, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We see this truth even as we look at Christ, and in the weeks ahead we'll look at the big picture of his passion. 
We see this truth in his suffering and death that a terrible suffering was turned to good. God allowed it for our forgiveness. He allowed it so that it conquered death and it allowed us to have eternity with God. God allows suffering for our good. God did not allow my brother to go through ALS for no reason. The ripple effects go on and on. For me personally, when I was with my brother, I listened over and over as my brother, even as he struggled with his circumstance, share his hope in Jesus with coworkers and nurses. He challenged my trust in God as he wrestled with why God would allow this suffering in his life. Most of the time when we talked together, that was the question we wrestled with. Why hasn't God healed me? Why haven't I got out of this bed yet? What, what's going on here? But God had a bigger plan. And the number one plan within that was my brother, the oldest kid, very responsible, very driven on his own, went from self-focused, I can do this on my own, to everything is out of my hands and I have to give it over. I have to trust others. I have to trust that God's in this rather than John's in control. But what was unique for me to watch was I also got to watch his wife Gwen and his kids as they struggled alongside him and how they had to rely on God's grace every day. I watched as the ripple effects of their vision for the future changed. As one of his sons now is planning to go into uh, pathology with this idea of helping with some of these kinds of things in the future. It's changed the trajectory of their lives and the trajectory of my life, including my prayer life. I look forward to seeing what the ripple affects, how they ripple into the future through my brother's situation. Jesus was prepared and knew with precision what would take place. He also knew that the soldiers and officers were not after only him. We ask ourselves, why all the soldiers and officers? Are you kidding me? This is Jesus, maybe 10, other, you know, 12 other guys, 11 guys in this case, hanging out in a garden. And they're bringing at least 300 soldiers, but the scholars say they could have been up to 600 Roman soldiers at, the, at this scene, bringing weapons and torches. But Jesus... Jesus knew how much this whole thing was going to work out for his glory. The Jewish leadership was preparing for everything, anything that could happen. They knew how much time they had, and this was their opportunity. The Jewish leadership also knew that they would need the approval for execution from the Romans. So why wait to get them involved? They were concerned Will there be a riot? We know there are people that follow this guy. Will his followers rebel? But Jesus is not afraid, but rather intentional with his steps. As he moved toward the soldiers, he makes it clear who he is. Jesus asked, who are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he literally declaring his deity as I am. 
Where he, when he said this, they drew back and fell to the ground. Vernon McGee from Through the Bible states, he, Jesus, revealed to these men that he was absolutely in charge. And they could not arrest him without his permission. But along with him not being arrested, he's not going to let them arrest his followers without his permission either. So Jesus asks them again, whom do you seek? This time he answers as the good shepherd watching out for his sheep, even laying down his life for them. He emphasized the true goal that the Jewish officials desired, which is to rest and, ki and kill him and not the followers. He shows that he has control over what the group does next, again showing that he is sovereign over the whole situation. Then enters Peter. What would you do if you were Peter? Your leader that you believe is the promised Messiah is being arrested. This doesn't make any sense. Someone must do something. We've seen this with Peter before, and he has promised multiple times that he would die for Christ. But Jesus steps in, and even after Peter slices a man's ear off, not one of his own is arrested. Jesus shows how he is in control of the situation and stands in the gap for his disciples, and he stands in the gap for us. We often act like Peter. I don't think I'm a type A like Peter. I read Peter, and I'm like, this guy's going all over the place. He's very, uh, you know, quick quick to respond, and I'm not always like that, but as I read this passage, I see myself in Peter all the time. And we do that, don't we? Our lives don't make sense, our circumstance is unclear. Rather than being prepared and trusting that Jesus is in control, we try to take matters into our own hands. We try to fix the situation in every way possible before going to Jesus. And we tend to make matters worse. If we got our way, just like Peter, we wouldn't go through any trial. But would, we would miss what God is doing through it. We would miss him being glorified through our trials and our suffering. But Jesus had a word for Peter, and he has a word for us. I know you've got my, I know you've got my back. This is Jesus talking. I know you've got my back. And I want things, and that you want things to be different. But God's will is for me to go through this. And he desires for us to do that. Jesus desires for us to go through pains and sufferings and trials as well because he knows that it'll be for our good. And Jesus knew that he had to go through this for the good of humanity. But he affirms us as our protector and shepherd that he will never leave us or forsake us. So although he's, he knows it's for our good to go through hard things, he doesn't abandon us, he is there with us. He stands in front of us as the good shepherd still and protects us. In these verses, Jesus shows what it looks like to be prepared for all that we go through. He wants us to know that he knows what's ahead and we can have confidence that he will be glorified through it. 
And he wants us to know that he stands in front looking after his sheep. Let's shift to our next uh, chunk of verses here. We're going to start at verse 12 through 14. Follow along with me. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now picking up again at verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in, and in the temple, where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, Is what I is if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Well, now they have him. He's all theirs. Now it's a matter of time rather than whether Jesus is worthy of death or not. Jesus has been arrested and now faces an illegal trial where he is being falsely accused and even struck for telling the truth. As we watch Jesus go through this scene, it's important that we see the bigger picture. The prosecutors are Annas and Caiaphas, both Jewish high priests. Annas is Caiaphas's father-in-law. According to Jewish law, the office of high priest was held for life. The Romans didn't like that concentration of power under one person, so they changed the high priest from time to time. Caiaphas is the acting high priest, but it seems as if Annas holds the power. This is confusing, but intentional, as John wants us to wonder who the real high priest is. The high priest is a spiritual leader for the people. They were to point the people to God. They were the mediator between God and man, making yearly sacrifices on behalf of the people for the forgiveness of sins. The high priest should have understood the scripture and been the ones pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. But that, but that wasn't the case. Early in John 11:50, we read that God allowed Caiaphas to prophesy regarding Jesus. Caiaphas said, it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. In verse 52 and 53, it goes on to say, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Caiaphas was right, one man had to die. But Caiaphas's motives were for his personal political power, not for the good of the people. The Jewish leaders feared the Romans and feared that Jesus was becoming too much or too big, which would cause the Romans to put him down or limit their freedoms. So the intercessors 
for the people now become the schemers and the murderers for the people. In addition, this trial was not legal, and Annas knew it. No witnesses were present. A trial could not stand or, or could not start or end at night, and it cannot end on the same day. Not to mention that they cannot harm a prisoner who has not been found guilty. But Jesus knew this would happen and was not surprised, but rather determined to get to the cross for you and for me. We see why John intentionally worded this narrative the way he did. He's pointing us to the true high priest, Jesus Christ. Jesus would be the one who stands in the gap as our mediator and make the sacrifice that would end all sacrifice, himself. So Annas questions Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. How does Jesus respond? He speaks the truth. He focuses on the teaching and not on the disciples, protecting his followers once again. He notes that everything he taught was done in public. If Annas wanted to know the substance of Jesus' teachings, he could ask anyone who had heard him speak. Jesus points this out by asking, why do you ask me? Ask those who, who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. By asking this, Jesus is calling Annas' attention to the fact that what they are doing is illegal and goes against the Mosaic law. As stated a moment ago, according to the law, they needed to have those witnesses. And what did that get him? A shot to the face. Annas now moves on and sends him to Caiaphas, a home nearby, most likely within a compound of houses surrounded by walls to make the decision final, a decision that had been made before the arrest. How did Jesus respond to his trials? He believed and spoke the truth even after getting hit in the face. Would you respond as Jesus did? I can honestly say that Jesus' response would not necessarily be my first response. Some of us, like myself, like control. I would most likely be kicking and screaming. I'd be whining about the fact that this was an illegal trial. I'd be going crazy. I'd be complaining. I'd be sharing it with everybody else. But Jesus calls us to something different. He's calling us to something more. And he empowers us to do so. When we go through trials that are overwhelming, when we deal with circumstances that are out of our control, when a lie is told about you, when an accusation is made against you, harm is caused against you, we need to follow Jesus' example and speak the truth and trust the truth. Speaking the truth means we need to know the truth, which can only be found in the Bible. God has filled his word with words of hope and power, but we need to get in there and we need to read what he has to say about these things. So that when we go through our trials, we can grab a hold of those promises and apply them into our lives. And we can remember and recall what Christ went through for us and know that he's right there with us. Follow along with me as I read our final passage. We're gonna start at verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. 
Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. Oh, sorry, starting again at verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. As you can tell, I moved the verses around. Um, John does, does something very interesting here as he's going through this passage. It's his desire that we understand that the events of Jesus' trial with Annas and the denial of Peter are happening simultaneously. So he weaves them together. So while Jesus is being questioned inside, two disciples have followed from a distance and are now outside. Peter is identified while scholars suggest that the other disciple is John. The one disciple can get in, but Peter cannot. The disciple comes back and talks to the gatekeeper who allows Peter in, but not without a price. Just hours ago, Peter was willing to die for Jesus, showing this by literally slicing Melchus's ear off. There is no way he's going to deny Jesus to the girl at the gate that poses little threat. But we know the answer. We know how he responds. He answers, I am not. After entrance into the courtyard, as the questioning of Jesus goes on inside, Peter is warming himself outside at a charcoal fire with the servants and officers of the Jewish leadership. A charcoal fire burns bright, but you need to be near it to feel its heat. While warming himself, he's asked again with the expectation that his answer will be, I am not. Then finally, the relative of Malchus gets specific. Did I not see you in the garden with him? And our passage ends with Jesus denying Jesus the third time and the rooster crowing exactly like Jesus said it would. As he saw and he prophesied in chapter 13, verse 38. Peter's denial, these denials happened during the same time Jesus was replying to Annas' question saying, ask the witnesses, they will tell you. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends and perhaps greatest witness, fails to answer truthfully when asked. And although John knew Peter would deny it, he must have felt the blow of it happening. Luke 22, verse 60 through 62, adds this additional testimony. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. 
And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the sayings of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. It's a sad, it's a sad situation there, but I'm so glad it's recorded in Scripture for us to see this interaction between Jesus and a disciple that would go crazy for God's glory following the later resurrection that we'll look at here in a few weeks. But going back to this night where Jesus denies Christ, have you ever done that? Maybe not in the same way, but in one moment you're Jesus' advocate and the next you're sinning. You go from being willing to die for the cause of Christ and the next you're doing your will. We all, like Peter, lose sight of Jesus really quick, and we let our guards down really quick. How could this have happened to Peter? How could Peter fail? Why do we fail? Some factors to consider as we look at this passage. When Peter slept in the garden, he should have been praying as Jesus had asked him to do. Instead of being prepared with the armor of God, he relied on his own weapon. Instead of trusting Jesus, he allowed fear to direct his steps. He depended on himself rather than turning to God. And he was standing too close to the enemy. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. F.B. Meyer states, in spite, in spite of his brave talk, he was swept off his feet, as we shall be, unless we have learned to avail ourselves of that power which is made perfect only in weakness. Peter's fall was due to his self-confidence and lack of prayer. Those who are weak should beware of exposing themselves in places and company where they are liable to fail. Do not warm yourself at the world's fires. What an awesome kind of description of what's going on in uh, Peter's life and in many of our lives even now. We have a lot to take away from this passage today, from these verses, and actually I hope a lot of hope for each of us. Like Jesus, we are all going to face our long nights Times when it seems like what God has given us to, do, to endure is too much. Where we are outnumbered, we are involved in trials we cannot win, and circumstances that we shouldn't be in. But Jesus promises us in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Knowing these promises, we are responsible as followers of Jesus, we are responsible to be prepared to be prayerful people. We need to be prayerful people. We need to stay connected to Jesus, the one who has overcome. And he just got done talking with his disciples about that very thing as you look at like John 15, for instance, the vine and the branches. We need to remember that he is sovereign. He goes before you and he has a plan and he has a purpose for you. You are not an accident walking around just doing things. God has a plan and a purpose for you 
and he's right there with you, and he's in control. Number three, rely on his power over your trials and suffering and his power over our enemy, the devil. A lot of the struggles and the, the things we go through and the trials we go through, the enemy is having a great time, and many of those are in our head. We don't, the enemy is going to whisper lies to you all day long, and it will only make your circumstance worse. But God has the power to overcome if you'll let him. Remember that he is our good shepherd and defender, and knowing that, we need to follow his voice. We need to remember he is our great high priest who gave his life as a sacrifice for your sin. And finally, we need to remember don't warm yourself with the enemy. Too often our struggles, our trials, our failures are because we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And some of us eagerly go there. We're willing to go into that situation to warm ourselves. And we need to step out of there and be where we're supposed to be, near Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the richness that, is just that it is just full of. We are so thankful for the promises of who you are and that we can grab a hold of those promises. Help each one of us to move away from the things that are going to distract us, the things that are going to pull us away from you, and help us cling to you, help us to trust in you. And when our suffering and trials come, help us to remember how you went through, the, went through your trials and your suffering. And help us to remember that because you went through those things, we have hope, we have eternity, we have forgiveness, and Father, we know we can take one more step and one more breath because of those promises. And so, Father, give us what we need this day. Help us to focus in on the promises that you have for us today, that we can live for you and give our lives to you. But help us to dig in and grab hold of you, God. We love you, and we thank you once again for these promises and this hope that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you would stand with me as I read our closing benediction. This is from Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 15. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is it, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Go in peace. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. 
And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.